This comes from Luke chapter 23. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of a council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking their spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, the two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all, to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to, to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by himself, and he went home marveling and what had happened. We're in a series called The Journey, and we're looking at the journey from the cross this morning. You know, I, I can remember uh, the first time that I was running for my life. I was uh, seven years old. And, and here's how it happened. Uh, I got a slingshot for my birthday. You can, you can see where this is going. I got a slingshot, and my friend and I had been doing some target practice, but we decided that target practice on a still object uh, was not challenging enough for us. And so we decided to go down uh, near his driveway, uh, close to the road, but not close enough where we could be seen by the vehicles that were traveling by. And so we grabbed a few rocks, and it was one of those slingshots that kind of had the arm bar on it, so you could really you could get some leverage behind it. And uh, we decided to let a few fly at at some birds that were going by, and then all of a sudden, here came this really nice Camaro coming down the street. And, uh, and I said, hey man, it's my turn. And so I grabbed a rock, and I went, Phew! I let it go. And all of a sudden, you hear the brakes screech, Aah! and I am flipping out. This guy turns around, and he comes back to my friend's house. I'm seven years old, guys. And so I do the only thing that any of us would do, I run. And I run for my life, and I run into my friend's house, and I hide in his bedroom. And he's kind of the man of the two of us because he, he kind of faces the music, and he says, hey, it was my friend that's hiding in my room. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, I was busted. I was caught. I was found out. I'm not sure how we reconciled the differences there, but I'm sure I had to pay something or write a few hundred sentences or something like that. It was not fun. But... If you're terrified of being found out, exposed, any of that kind of stuff, you're in a good place this morning. 
Because it's Easter. It's a day that sinners like me, and I've been a sinner my whole life just like you, uh, we come and we celebrate in the fact that it didn't stop God's love for coming to meet us, for coming to us. The exposure of our sin has led to the salvation of our souls, and we find joy in the fact that Jesus comes to us in the midst of that. So the big idea of where we're going today is this. When Jesus emptied the grave, He also emptied mine. When Jesus emptied the grave, He also emptied mine. Now I don't know how often you attend church, if you would consider yourself a part of a church or not, but we all have a reality that we are confronted with today. Jesus' resurrection claims to have an effect on all those that will believe in Him. So my question to you is this. Does the life of Jesus really give you life? Does the life of Jesus really give you hope? And some, some indicators for me throughout the years of places that the resurrection has yet to take effect in my heart are areas where I'm still holding a grudge. You know, I say, hey, everything's fine, but in the back of my mind, I'm still holding on to something deep within me. Do you find yourself constantly comparing yourself to what other people think or do? Do you want to be like others? Are you secure in who God has made you to be and the circumstances that He has providentially dealt to you today? Do you find yourself satisfied in who God is to you? And, and what I found about Jesus is this, is He's pleased to meet us and give us the fruit of His Spirit and hope. If we would let Him come in and to fill our hearts with that great hope that He gives us. So here's where I'm going today. Two, two things I want to talk about. Um, the first one is this, is, is how do we live in light of the resurrection? But the first one is this, we have to identify with Jesus through faith. There's no hope for us in identifying with the resurrection if it's not with hope and faith that Jesus raised from the dead. And the second is kind of like it. Uh, how do we live in light of the resurrection? To believe that Jesus and his resurrection is my resurrection. So let's open the Bible to Luke 23 that Mike just read for us, and we're going to walk through this a bit this morning. Luke 23, uh, verses 50 through 56 say this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. Now he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. What he's saying there is this, is that Joseph of Arimathea had, a, had a, a strong conviction that what was happening when Pilate crucified Jesus, that it was the wrong thing to do. So secretly within himself, he was saying, this isn't right. This isn't right what's happening right now. And then it goes on to say this, that Joseph of Arimathea, he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and, and he does this really bold thing. What's he do? He asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where, there, where no one had ever been laid. And it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. So Joseph of Arimathea, who is this guy? He just kind of appears on the scene here. He was what I would call this secret follower of Jesus. Like, he, he was a leader in the community, a Jewish man, and, and he really, 
he didn't really want to identify with Jesus publicly. Now, why did he not want to identify with Jesus publicly? I think it's probably because he knew that all the people that identified with Jesus publicly uh, would, would have consequences to pay for that identification with Jesus. There would be consequences for identifying with Jesus. So Joseph uh, did what any of us would do. He just kind of watches him from a distance. I'm just going to check this Jesus guy out from a distance. I'm not going to engage too closely with him. So Joseph had not uh, spoken up for Jesus, even though he knew the wrong thing was happening. And the Bible says, you know, he didn't consent to, to his death either. Um, and now he'd, he'd really blown it. So here, he's looking for the kingdom of God. He's looking for Jesus, but it's too late. It's too late. And so what does Joseph do after this? Well, he does the only thing that he can do at this point. He goes and he tries to care for this dead man's body because no one else is caring for it. And so he does this really bold thing. He goes and he asks Pilate. He, he climbs straight up the ladder all the way to the top. And he goes straight to Pilate and he says, Pilate, give me his body. Now, if there was any doubt that he was a follower of Jesus before this, there was no doubt now because here he is dragging Jesus' body to a tomb. He's, at his expense, he's paying for the linens to wrap him up and to care for his body. And then he does something pretty remarkable. And it just struck me this week as I was looking at this passage. He takes Jesus and he lays him in his own tomb. Think about that. He takes Jesus' body and he lays him in his own tomb. Joseph was a rich man. So he had his own tomb. A, a very rare thing to have in the day. And it fulfills this prophecy that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's grave. But all of a sudden, Joseph has this check in his spirit where he wants to identify with Jesus. He's no longer content remaining in the shadows. So my question to you today is this. Are you, are you a secret follower of Jesus? One that just kind of pops out every now and then to kind of identify with Jesus? Or do you desire to publicly identify with Jesus? Because you see, there's really not much hope for those that secretly identify with Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you want to, he says, the call is for the disciple to follow him. And it's impossible to follow Jesus on a, on a six month basis, right? The call for the disciple is to take up your cross daily and to follow him. And so we see, we see loads of grace for Joseph of Arimathea, even in the midst of this. Now, I have a good friend who uh, I've been sharing the gospel with for a long time. And he, uh, he is one of these guys that is, I mean, just a really tender-hearted, nice guy. But every time I talk about the gospel with him and about the hope that we can have in Christ, his response is always, hey man, look, like I get, I get that grace can be for some people. I get that. But you don't understand, Ryan, I've just done too much wrong. Like, I can never catch up with all the wrong that I've done by doing good in Jesus' name. And that's when I tell him, brother, you're missing the point. The whole idea of the gospel is that Jesus does it for us. So what is grace? What is grace? What did Jesus come to do and come to give? Grace is an undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Jesus 
Jesus is not on the hook to have to give us grace. He is pleased to give you grace. So if, if you're like my friend in here this morning, you think, man, I just can't keep up with the lifestyle of a Christian. The beautiful thing is, is that God wants to give you his spirit and so that he begins to produce his life inside of you. This is the whole hope of what the resurrected life is for us. As we continue going on to that scripture in Luke 23, 51, Joseph of Arimathea was looking for something. What was he looking for? It says that he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was looking for another story. He was looking for another narrative to live out of. What are you looking for this morning? As you've showed up to New City Church and you're worshiping in a gym that the air conditioner works in some of the time. What are you looking for this morning? Who are you looking for? What is it that you're putting your hope in? As I was reflecting on how Jesus called His disciples to follow Him, I noticed that after the resurrection, all of the disciples, you can look at this in John 21, but I noticed that all of the disciples, it says they kind of go back to their old ways. And so this is after Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's making His appearances all over the place. And the disciples decide to go back to the old family business of fishing. And so in John 21, you have this, this picture where Jesus, they, they've kind of given up on Jesus. They've kind of betrayed Him. They said, I'm not coming. I'm not going to follow Him. He's left us. I don't believe that He's actually risen from the dead. And so they find themselves in the same place that they were before they met Jesus. And what does Jesus do to them? He comes to them. He comes to them. He doesn't say, now guys, you got to get your act together and come to me. Jesus comes to them in their unbelief. He comes to them in their disobedience. And what's He say? He invites them the same way that He did the first time in Matthew chapter 4 when He says, you know, come follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men. He does the exact same thing with them again. He says, come follow Me. Come have breakfast with Me on the beach. And He is reinstating every single one of those disciples in the midst of their unbelief. So I don't, I don't know the last time that you showed up to church or were in fellowship with other believers, but the invitation is that Jesus comes to us. And what I want you to hear this morning is that you don't have to come to Him. He comes to you. What did you come looking for this morning? Rankin Wilborn in, uh, in his book, Union with Christ, says this, we cannot understand ourselves until we understand who He is, who Jesus is, and what He has done for us. Serene Kierkegaard says it even further. He says this, Now with God's help, I shall become myself. You see, the lie that we tend to believe is that our true self is this self that's not connected to God. And that we're so fatally flawed that God would never love us. But what Serene says is this, he says, when you come to meet Jesus, you come to experience His grace, you finally figure out what you were made for. You finally figure out who you actually are. You figure out your true self in light of who Jesus is. And so Jesus, He comes to us. And the kingdom of God was in Joseph's midst that day. He, he was there among Him. And he thought it was too late. But Jesus comes 
And when Joseph doesn't really know what he's doing, he puts Jesus' body in his grave. It would paint this beautiful picture of grace for us. Because every single one of us that believe in Jesus, His body, perfect body, spotless, lays in our grave. And we get to experience the reality of resurrection every single day. A few months ago, I was having this conversation with my dad, and it was it was like a different kind of conversation, okay? Like, because usually my dad and I are talking about like the latest NFL game or scores or how bad the Cincinnati Reds are, and uh, this time he kicks off the conversation like this: "Hey, Ryan, I've got an extra I've got an extra burial plot next to mine. Do you want to use it?" <laughs> like, like that, like come again? Excuse me. And so he, he, you know, long story short, my dad uh, desires to be buried in his hometown and uh, next to his parents. And so he's bought a couple of burial plots to be uh, close to, 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 you know, to have the family kind of all in one place. And he's making preparations. And really, Joseph of Arimathea had done the same thing. He knew where his grave was. But the reality for us in the resurrection is this, is that that grave doesn't really hold us. It holds our wasted away body, but in Christ our souls go to be with Jesus and we are made new. The Kingdom of God, church, has come to us. And that's what we celebrate on Easter. Listen to what Tom Wright says about the resurrection. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project to not only snatch people away from earth to heaven, listen to these words, to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That's what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God's kingdom to come as full as it possibly can to our lives, even while we're still on this earth. And the reality of the resurrection is that it's not just this future thing that we get to experience. We get to experience the hope of resurrection today because we don't have to come to God. Jesus comes to us. God is so eager to fill your life with the power of the resurrection. He is so eager. He is so eager. We don't believe this a lot of times. We, 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 most days we walk unconvinced of the fact that God really is eager to fill our lives with hope. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been uh, to a beach uh, or a pool uh, before where there is this uh, inevitably wild beach ball floating around the pool or the, or the beach? You ever, you ever seen that before? There's this wild beach ball kind of, you know, some, some family with little kids like mine, they get their, their pool toys scattered all over the place, right? And we can't, we can't even rein them all in. And so, you know, what do you do when you see that beach ball floating around? You know, the water's a little too deep for you to be comfortable, so you grab that beach ball and you kind of float on it. You float on the ball. And then, you know, as a, as a, as a younger man, what we used to do with those um, inflated balls is we would, we would jump off the side of the pool with the ball and go under with the ball. And we try to hold on to it with everything that we had. And we try to sink it down to the bottom, the bottom of it. We would try to defy the principle of buoyancy. We try to do that every single time. I think this is a picture for us of what the power of the resurrection is for each and every one of us. You are unsinkably 
redeemed in Jesus Christ. You cannot sink when the grace of God has grabbed your heart and He has made you new. The, the upward momentum of that silly beach ball reminds us of the upward momentum of God's grace that is always bringing us to the surface. Even when our sin, the flesh, and the devil tempt us to go down underneath the surface of the water, God's grace is always resurfacing us. Church, have you taken hold of the life that Jesus desires to give to you? Have you experienced what it means to truly be alive in Jesus? Because as we said on Good Friday, when God looks down at His Son and He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. If, if we're in Christ, God sings the same thing over you and I. Yet most days we walk around unconvinced of this reality, thinking that there must be something that we have to do. And the reality is, is that grace is absolutely scandalous. You can't explain it. It should make you pause and stop when you think about your life and the fact that God could love you on your best day and your worst day exactly the same. Secondly, what do we need to believe in light of the resurrection? We need to believe that Jesus' resurrection is my resurrection. Let's pick up in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, chapter, or verse 1, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. That had to be just a bizarre moment, right? It had to be completely bizarre. And then if it wasn't strange enough, when they come out, they got some friends waiting for them there. <laughs> While they were perplexed about this, verse 4, uh, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, and this is the question that all of us have to answer today. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Great question, right? Why do we look for the things that, we've, that, we, that we know that are lifeless to give us life time and time again? Why are we trying to seek the things that are not resurrected realities for us and try to squeeze life out of them? Why are you looking in the graveyard for a man that's clearly not dead? You see, the resurrection has some really concrete principles and truths for us. And I'm reminded of this as I, as I talk to my five-year-old daughter. Uh, this is probably two and a half years ago. She was five at the time. She's seven now. And she was trying to reconcile what the resurrection actually was. What were we actually doing on Easter? And so she drew this picture. Pretty, pretty great picture, right? I mean, our house is filled with pictures like this. Anybody else? you got pictures taped up everywhere. You can make out some of what they are. And uh, so you'll notice in the top right corner of this picture that there is a, a cross with a circle on it. And you'll, if you look really closely, you can see that some of it has been erased. So she begins to explain the gospel to me with this picture. And she says, she doesn't know what she's doing, but she, she's clearly explaining it to me. She says, Dad, so we read about Jesus being on the cross. And I was, so I was going to draw a picture of that. She goes, so I drew him on the cross, but then we kept reading on a little bit more and I realized that he didn't stay on the cross. So I erased him. She goes, then... Then I remember that they put him in this tomb. And so you see the little box shape down there. She says, so I, 
I, I, I put him in the tomb, but then we kept reading a little bit more, but then I had to erase it again. Because Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. And I'm not real sure what that other character is. Like, that's either the ladies that are crying or maybe Jesus. Uh, pretty long hair, though. I'm not sure. We'll have to ask Tatum about that. Jesus is alive. And that's how it worked out in a five-year-old's mind. And that's really, that's all we got to know. The, the core tenets of the Gospel are this. That Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, was buried in a rich man's tomb, and raised from the dead. That death himself, death itself could not hold him. Because of the resurrection, here's the deal. And, and we, okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. I was meeting with a friend of mine who uh, is an Indian man, and he, this was probably two and a half years ago, and he, we were, we were talking about the, the gospel together. And, and a lot of times, whenever I talk with people that don't come from a Christian background, the way that I'll start talking about Jesus with them is I'll say, hey, tell me what you believe about life and death and the next life. And, and so I don't like walk into this guy's story saying, hey, hey, I know everything about Hinduism. He's Hindu. Uh, and so let me tell you everything about Hinduism and then tell you everything that I believe. I don't really walk at it like that. I say, hey, tell me what you believe. And so we, over several meetings, we're telling each other what we believe. And and, uh, and my friend says, uh, he's telling me about, he's telling me about like what they believe about the next life and reincarnation. And I'm, and I'm starting, like, honestly, I'm starting to chuckle a little bit inside. And like, it's not, it, it's not funny. I mean, he really does believe this, but I'm starting to chuckle. And the reason I'm chuckling is because I'm like, hey, this sounds ridiculous. Like, who would believe this? And then the Spirit of God stopped me in my tracks. And God said, you believe in the resurrection. That's, that's, that's even crazier. You believe that a, a dead man raised from the dead. You believe in the resurrection. And the resurrection is really simple to believe. But here's the deal about the resurrection. It makes everything for us that we seem to be certain about not as certain as we think we are. Nothing is as it seems. Death is not final. What you're experiencing in this world is not final. Your circumstances are not the final verdict for your life because He is risen. And we need to hear that this morning because most times we try to find our life in the midst of those realities. The same way that my five-year-old tried to reconcile the truths of Jesus is what we must consider. Your, your sin and your shame is really erased in Jesus because it exists no more because Jesus put it in the grave that we deserve to be in and our lives came out of it with Jesus through faith. So why is the resurrection so important? Because Jesus lives, grace never dies. Because Jesus lives, grace never dies. Now here's the deal. It cannot disappear. God will not bait and switch us. He will not say, hey, you know, you're saved by grace while we're on earth. And then at the end of our lives, require us to produce anything other than faith in the one who raised from the dead. He's not going to do that. And, and, and the Gospel, this is what the Gospel is, is supposed to motivate us to live lives of freedom and rest in Jesus' name. It's not supposed to, 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 to produce such a weight on our shoulders that we can never live up to. Jesus came to free us from that. And the Gospel is really that good. Secondly, the resurrection is so important 
because it's finished, my behavior cannot add or take away anything from the grace of God. Jesus Christ, listen to this, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because I'm hidden with Jesus through faith, my standing before God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. As Andrew Murray says, a dead Christ I must do everything for. That's how a lot of us live. I've got to do everything for God. But he goes on to say this, a living Christ does everything for me. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. I want to close by reading a prophecy from Ezekiel 37. Now, before I get to it, this prophecy is a portrait of what the resurrected life looks like. So what we look like before we come to Jesus and what our reality is after we meet Jesus. So let these words wash over you. Ezekiel 37, 1-14. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and He set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And He led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. Meaning, there was no, there was no hope for these bones. This, this field of skeletons. There was no hope for these. It would represent all of the souls of everyone who's ever lived. And He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? This is the question that Jesus asked of all of us today. Do you think you can really live? And I answered, O Lord God, You know. Then He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the Word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. As we've been talking, Jesus has to come and give us the breath. We can't find it on our own. And I will lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. The Bible saying that Jesus is going to come and He's going to put us back together and we're going to be alive more than we've ever been. Regardless of what our circumstances are, what we're feeling, we're going to be alive because Jesus is going to meet us. And so He goes on to say, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone, joint to joint. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them. And the flesh had come upon them. And skin had covered them. And there was still no breath in them. So, in other words, they looked like they had life, but they didn't have the essence from the inside yet. Then He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as He commanded. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then He said to me, Son of Man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. These bones are all of God's people who've ever experienced life through Jesus. That's who these bones are. 
Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. Friends, this is what Jesus Christ has come to do. This is why Easter is such a big deal. The hardest thing that you and I will ever do is to believe that God loves us and He raises us from the dead through faith and nothing else. And so the invitation to you is this. What is the resurrection? What does it really mean for you? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you given yourself fully to Him? so that you can experience the life that you were always intended to live. I'm going to pray for us. Our Father, we we come to You now and we're filled with hope as we think about the valley of dry bones that, that our life really is. Yet You have made us alive. You have brought us to life. And so Jesus, I pray that You would come in and you would, uh, you would convince us of that reality today. I know there are my friends in this room right now that, that just kind of showed up today maybe with a friend or family member. And there are those in here that, that maybe are a part of New City Church, but they don't really feel redeemed. They don't really feel resurrected today. You have come to give us hope and peace. And the enemy wants to rob us from it every single day. But he is limited through the power of the resurrection. So Jesus, meet with us. Come make us new. Help us to let you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.